And I'm just going to simply pick up where Jonathan left off. Uh, it would have been a couple of weeks ago, I guess. A couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just going to pick up right from there. Now, I'm, I'm going to wear my heart on, on my sleeve from the very start of this series. I, I've always found the book of Hebrews to be a really confusing book. I don't know if anyone else. Yes, <laughs> David's with me. You see, good. Uh, good honesty at the beginning. Um, and there's a number of reasons for this. I think two would be, as we'll see as we go on, it's full of details about very specific things in the Old Testament that seem very removed from our lives today. That's, that's one reason. And just simply as well, uh, I'll be honest with you, there are some really tricky bits in this book that you've got to really think to just to get your head around what's the author uh, communicating to us here. And so I'm going to need, uh, as I'm doing a number of the talks in, in this series, to, I'm going to need to keep my bearings uh, throughout, because I, <laughs> I can sometimes get a bit sidetracked by the detail. Uh, I, I, need to, I think for each of us it would be helpful as well. When it gets complicated, when it gets difficult, we need to be able to say, well, we know roughly where this is going. We know what's going on behind this. We need to have our bearings. And actually, our bearings will always be in the four verses that Jonathan preached on last time, where this book starts is really um, the kind of anchor for everything I'm going to say today, definitely, and everything uh, that we're going to say in this whole series, I'd say, in one way or another. So let's kick off uh, right from where we, Jonathan started last time, right at the beginning of the book of Hebrews uh, again. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 1 says this, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, so, you know, that's, we could summarize that saying that's the Old Testament of the Bible he's talking about there. And now in these final days, final days being the days the writer's writing to the Hebrews on, and also our days, that's the same, same period of time. Now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son, that's Jesus. Uh, God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command when he had cleansed us from our sins he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven okay you want bearings for the book of Hebrews there they are right there okay and uh, if you want a kind of sentence and what's this book about it's about this Jesus is amazing that is, the, that is this book. Okay? That's the, the, the summary of this book. Um, if we wanted to put that a little bit more uh, detail and, and prepare us for what's to come, actually we could, the, the branding we've used is slightly different. It's Jesus is greater because actually the way the author to the Hebrews shows how amazing Jesus is is by comparing and contrasting him with a load of other stuff within, uh, with, within the theology of the people and the history of the people then. And so it's not just Jesus is amazing, it's actually Jesus is greater. Okay? But, um, so we have that little symbol, don't we, in the bottom corner. And uh, some of you, yeah, there we go, on the big, very good, good, good work, Alec. Um, some of you, this will be now for you, but others, this will be a remembrance. Remember this from school, that little, little thing. If you put another line on it, I think it meant something else. But I, it's, I, yeah, okay, good. Okay, I try to flush these things from my mind the best I can. Okay, uh, but you always know when it was something is greater than something, you need another thing, okay? So when we say Jesus is greater, the obvious question is than what? What's he greater than or who is he greater than? Well, let's continue. Verse four gives us the first, uh, first one. This shows that the son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. And imagine I was to say to you, look, uh, can you explain to me uh, th- how great Jesus is by contrasting him with another group? 
I'm not sure we go here. I don't think this is where we might first start. Maybe Jesus is greater than the rulers or even Jesus is greater than superheroes or something like that. But he goes for angels. He's greater than the angels. And just so you know, uh, if you're asking a very good question, why? Why would he start by saying Jesus is greater than the angels? I'm not going to tell you. That's in uh, chapter 2, uh, at the beginning of chapter 2. Jonathan may well touch on it next week, but we'll definitely be touching on it later because it's to do very much with uh, how I will tell you a bit. I'll be kind. Mainly because I checked with Jonathan. He said, I'm not going to tell you either. So that would be crueler. Okay. Um, the the, the uh, Jews uh, saw the angels having a key role in the giving of the Old Testament law. And we'll come on to that. And she's really saying Jesus is, it, Jesus is, what he says, is greater than the Old Testament law. Okay. So that's kind of in the background, but we don't need to worry about that today. All we're going to do today is really I want to look at how and why the author to the Hebrews thinks that Jesus is greater than angels and as we do that I want to bring out three things about Jesus that are really important for us all to know okay and they're really important for us some of us to remember if we've been Christians for a long period of time very important we never move past these things if you're new to Christianity or maybe you don't know am I a Christian I'm looking maybe whether this is something for me and you think well what is who is Jesus these are three vital uh, things uh, fundamental things about Jesus okay so now oh yeah we've got angels up, up there so I'd probably better say something about them to be true to my PowerPoint um, but before we go on so that's what I'm going to do but I just do want to say a, a very brief note about uh, these guys or at least some of them. Um, angels, I just recognize, I've, I've said that, I've kind of in this passage, going to be critiqued, oh, of course he's greater than the angels. I understand that angels is a little bit of an odd topic for some of us, maybe. Um, probably, whether you're a Christian or not, this angels are not a topic you think about all the time, or is at the top of your mind. But um, the Bible does speak of angels, and not in a kind of metaphorical sense, angels as real spiritual beings. The time we focus on it most is probably still just about in our minds. It's Christmas, isn't it? When uh, the angel comes down, and the angel's on the hillside and all that. And uh, the Bible talks about angels as, as real uh, spiritual beings. Now, um, I guess while this can seem strange for us, if you're here and you believe in a spiritual reality, if you believe that there is more to life than just what we can see, hear, feel, touch, taste, okay, um, it's certainly not out of the question that there could be beings like this. I'm saying if we, even if we didn't have a, a Bible to tell us this. And so while it might seem a bit strange, I think it shouldn't be a massive stumbling block uh, to, in that sort of sense. But it's also at the same time important to realize that some of the stuff that goes along with angels that I think sometimes is why we think it's all a little silly, actually that stuff's not in the Bible, okay? So if you're hung up on the kind of idea of the angel on the, on the cloud with the harp, possibly with a bow and arrow, some of them seem to have that in some pictures, okay, and halos and stuff like that. Those are uh, imaginative and speculative embellishments. None of that stuff is in the Bible. And actually, when you look at what the Bible says about angels, it has a very restrained view about these uh, beings. And uh, it just, it tells them they exist, as we're going to see today. It tells, them, uh, tells us they're servants of God, uh, but it doesn't spend time speculating on loads of details about them, okay? So, Please, at the very, very least, what I just want to say with that very short kind of uh, sidetrack side uh, is uh, please don't let angels distract you from the focus. In fact, the whole passage today is saying don't let angels distract you from, <laughs> from the main point today. And the main point is very clearly in this passage, Jesus. But I just wanted to kind of get us all to, to that place. If you've got any more questions about angels and stuff, love to communicate with you about that uh, more. I'll be rushing off to the north at the end of this service, as, as we do. But please feel free to email uh, and stuff like that. I can put you on some really good resources about that sort of stuff. So all of that said, then, how is Jesus greater than angels? And what does it show us about him? That's our plan, right? 
Let's go back to the text, Hebrews 1 verse, verse 5. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son, today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. First point is this, uh, how is Jesus greater than angels? Well, there are loads of angels, there's only one Jesus. Okay? I'm a simple guy, let's start simple. There are loads of angels, uh, there is only one Jesus. Jesus is totally unique. Now, there are many references, actually, in the Bible to the sons of God. That is a phrase that's often used. It's often used of, of Christians or people who are part of the people of God. It is actually often used of angels themselves. Angels can be described in the Psalms as the sons of God. That phrase is used. However, the Bible is absolutely clear. There is only one son of God, and that's Jesus. That's the point the, the writer is making here. John 1.14 puts it categorically. John writes this, And we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, when we talk like this, it reminds me of a story uh, in the Gospels uh, that is known as the Transfiguration, that some of you instantly go, yeah, I know that story. Uh, some of you think that's a long word, uh, but we can easily get up to speed in it because it's a good little story. And uh, this, is, this is the story. It's found in Luke's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel, I, th- I think. Um, and uh, basically, this is what happens. Jesus chooses three of his disciples, okay, James, John, and Peter, and he takes them up a mountain. And uh, I don't think they have any idea why they're going up this mountain. I think with Jesus often you just went with it. I think that's the impression I get. But they go up this mountain and they get to the top and things start turning a little odd. Okay? Jesus' face starts to glow to start with. I imagine that's the beginning. I don't know if it kind of broke like a... or just suddenly glow. Um, but also his, it says his clothes became uh, as bright as lightning. Okay? This, Okay, something strange is happening here. If you're Jesus again, I imagine some slightly strange things would have been kind of normal for you. But then things got even more bananas, and Moses and Elijah appear on the mountain, okay? Moses and Elijah, who lived many hundreds of years before this, uh, okay? Now, and I, you can't blame the guy, but this is all too much for Peter. I mean, it's too, his mental overload <laughs> happens to Peter. And Peter, it seems, kind of becomes fixated on these two characters, Moses and Elijah. And like, you've got to face it. I mean, these would have been, if you said to Peter, who are the five greatest people who'd ever lived up to that point? Moses and Elijah would definitely have been in the top five. I mean, these are heroes of heroes. And they're just there with him, okay? They did amazing miracles. They had relationship with God that were kind of off the chart and uh, they were there and so Peter as, as Moses and Elijah says in the story get to go they talk with Jesus right they go to go Peter's thinking I can't let this happen I've got to keep him here and so he comes up he suddenly just says uh, what should I do hey guys why don't I make some shelters for you to kind of keep you on the mountain it's a bit like he's thinking the reason they're leaving is oh I really like it but it's, it's a little bit chilly and uh, a bit of rain's forecast so we're going to go oh don't worry I'll make you a tent and it's it's a ridiculous suggestion okay and then the bible in just I like this in one of the clearest put downs in the whole bible Luke 9:33 ends by just saying in brackets says he didn't know what he was saying okay in modern translations should just have a face palm emoji at that point like because it would be exactly the same all right um but actually, it wasn't the stupidity of the suggestion that was the problem. Uh, and it wasn't the point of the passage either. The, the issue was that Peter had lost his bearings. Moses and Elijah, you know what, those guys are great. You can read all about them in the Old Testament. God's divinely inspired word. They're, they're great characters. But you know what, there's a guy standing on the other side whose clothes are shining like lightning. <laughs> actually, he's got a bit... He's got a bit lost. He's got a bit confused. And to make that point then, on the mountain, this voice booms out in the story. It says this, 
It's from the Father. It says, this is my son. Imagine at that point, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, and a little kind of pointer above them. This, this one, Jesus, this is my son. Not those two, they're great, but this is my son. My chosen one, listen to him. I want to ask you, who is capturing your attention right now? Whose voice are you hanging on right now? Who is shaping your view of the world right now? Think about it. I mean, first answer if you're a Christian, of course Jesus is, but is that really the case? Could be religious figures. Could be your favorite blogger or favorite journalist. When they put the new answer, oh, I want to find out. And when they say something, go, oh, yeah, it doesn't quite disagree with what I believe, but like, you know what, maybe I just need to shift things. Maybe it's that kind of guy or lady. Could be your parents. Could be your partner. Actually, the writer of the Hebrews, if any of those things are true, would want to reset our radar right at the beginning of this letter and say, yeah, those guys and, and ladies, they, they have all sorts of wisdom and all sorts of things, but let's just get this clear. Jesus is the Son of God. That's a qualitative difference. Jesus is in a league of his own when it comes to wisdom and guidance for our lives. We need to keep battling as Christians to keep making sure we live that out in our lives and listen to him and not just get caught even on the Moses and Elijahs out there. No, it's about Jesus. Actually, I wonder if some of us, this might not be for everyone, but there might be a few here who this relates to, um, where you can relate to this passage much more directly, actually, than what I've been saying. The Hebrews passage, I mean. Um, I mean, I mentioned a minute ago that some of us struggle with the idea of angels, think it's a bit odd, don't like to think about them, but there is a possibility there would be some of us here who would kind of be on the other end of the spectrum to that, and uh, it's kind of angels, or at the very least, the kind of phenomena and experiences that surround talk of angels that kind of has your attention at the moment, and that's really where you're, where you're going and what you're focusing on. Now, be honest, uh, for me personally, there have been times in my life where I think I would have probably been more at this end of the scale. I remember when I was growing up, uh, there were lots of stories. Some of you, I wonder if some of you can remember this. They don't happen so much anymore. Um, about angelic visitations and angels like saving people from car crashes. Anyone heard these kind of stories? And angels um, protecting people who are going to get beaten up and stuff like that. And angels, growing up with that stuff, I thought, angels are super cool. These guys are amazing. And I was like, I want to get in on some of this action here, this angel action. And so um, we used to go every year um, as a teenager and, and younger than that as well to this uh, big, big Bible festival. And I remember my mum and dad asking me on the way there in the car, I'm going to have to tell this story with them in the room in a minute, so I'm going to have to work through how to do this. Just, just tell me if I'm being disrespectful anymore. Um, and they said, Johnny, um, what do you want God to do for you at the, the festival? Um, and for me, that was a big deal because at this festival, and some of you will know what I'm talking about and would know very similar things. We're going to go to a similar uh, festival uh, very shortly, Catalyst Festival. Uh, but that's a big deal because at that festival, there were like the best Bible teachers were there and the best worship leaders were there. And these kind of miracle working people were there who tell great stories. You're like, whoa. And then at the end, you get to go up and they could pray for you. And you'd be like, but you see miracles and maybe I can see miracles. And wow. So if God's ever going to do anything for me, in my mind at that time, it was he'll do it at this place. This is what's going to happen. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so this question was a big deal. What do you want God to do for you? And I said, I remember very clearly saying, I want to see an angel. That's what I want to see. Pretty good. Guys, I didn't see an angel. Come on, come on. I didn't. Thank you. I've never seen an angel. That uh, empathy is kind. Thank you. I I really appreciate that. It's heartfelt, beautiful. Um, Actually, I often talk to people 
who would seem to echo that sentiment I expressed uh, then uh, in a way that I think sometimes, actually, I, I think probably I was, my, my answer to that question wasn't probably the best answer to that question. When I, when I grew up, most of the angel stories, I said, revolved around these individual encounters. I think nowadays, most of the talk of angels is to do with in the collective experience of worship. So uh, hearing angelic voices or uh, seeing angels in the room uh, while we worship. Most of them are on the rafters, though, which is a disadvantage here. Maybe we should think of that in the new building that they're building. Anyway, um, but stuff like that. Some, some experiences like gold dust falling from heaven, you know, that sort of stuff. And I, I don't just say, I say, oh, do you know of this stuff? I pretty sure there would be people in this room who wouldn't just know of this sort of stuff, would have seen and experienced this sort of stuff. I, I think so. Definitely uh, that would have been the case when I like preaching this in the South Side. Um, and you know what? If you come up to me at some other age and go, yes, I have had those experiences. You know what? I'm slightly envious of you. You know, like I prayed and God didn't answer my prayer. What's going on? Um, but, but that's great. I, I believe that stuff can happen. And that's a, a, an amazing thing. Fantastic. Actually, I think we do have to be a little careful with this stuff. What I believe is happens and can be very beneficial because while experiences like that are possible and can be spiritually empowering, if our focus shifts, like mine did, what do you want to do at this thing where you can meet with Jesus? I want to see an angel. If that's our kind of attitude, well, we need to hear the message of Hebrews 1, I think, very, very loud. Because angels are great and uh, spiritual experiences are absolutely fantastic, but they're never to be our focus. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus and we are to tune our ears to his frequency. And you know what? Jesus never encouraged his followers to live for the next spiritual experience. He never did. Have a, have a look. He, he never says that. Do you know what Jesus tells us to do? Jesus tells us to do things like this. Strive for unity in the church. He tells us to encourage as many people as possible to follow him. He encourages us to pour out our lives in love to our neighbors, to our enemies, and to anyone around us in need. You know what? If, if God wants to send us angels or give us other experiences to encourage us and help us do those things, fantastic. That's great. But if actually our attention is so caught on those things that if we're honest, we're not really giving ourselves to the things that Jesus called us to do, well, I think we need to leave the sideshow as the sideshow and then focus on the main event. Now, let's keep our focus on Jesus. There are loads of angels. There's only one Jesus. It's the first point I think we see here. Let's go back to the passage and see a second one, which is keeping reading from verse 6. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. Second point then is this. Firstly, there are loads of angels. There's only one Jesus. Secondly, angels are there for us but we're here for Jesus. Angels are there for us. We're here for Jesus. Look at the kind of contrast that's made subtly in these verses. Who are angels? We get a bit of a description here. And this, uh, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. We could, the winds and fire bits really interesting. There's lots we could, you could look at that if you look at commentaries and stuff. But just very simply, it says here that angels are God's servants. That's how they're described. They're God's servants. And so they have specific jobs giving them to by God. And you might ask, well, what kind of jobs would they be given? Well, we actually see that if we jump forward to verse 14, we see the exact answer to that question. Because in verse 14, again, it says, angels are only servants, same word, but slightly different here. Spirit sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Okay? I think that gives us a good picture of what they're doing. That angels are servants, they're God's servants, but they're also our servants. 
in some ways. That's the job God's given them. It seems that the main thing on an angel's job description is to help us. Wow, it's a, it's a good thing. To make our lives better in some way or another. That's angels. But how's Jesus described here? What about Jesus? Well, he's different. He's to be worshipped. Okay, you might think those things don't necessarily link. But that's what it says. It says, let all of God's angels worship him. And I guess we would be included. We would be silly for angels worshiping him. Yeah, but we're not going to bother. No, we worship Jesus. Now, like I said, those things seem pretty straightforward uh, and wouldn't be remarkable for you if you, you're familiar with the Bible and, and stuff and you've been a Christian for any length of time. But I just want to think about that for a minute because um, it's hugely un- important to understand this when we think about Jesus. Because it's very easy for us, actually, to treat the one who is to be worshipped like the ones who are sent to serve us. And that's a big mistake. Now, just let's get this clear. Does Jesus serve us? question to the audience. Does Jesus serve us? You're afraid of a trick here, aren't you? Come on, show the courage of your conviction. Yes! Owen says yes. He's (gasps) correct, absolutely correct. And how do we know he's correct? Well, because Jesus told us. So you're on very safe ground there. Very good. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, that's him, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom uh, for many. Okay? So Jesus does serve us, like angels serve us. So they're pretty much the same, aren't they? No, there is a massive difference here. Jesus graciously and mercifully chooses to serve us in saving us, but our benefit is not the main thing on his agenda. It's not when he wakes up in the morning, his to-do list is, first thing to do is serve people. I hope you realize that. That's, that's just not how it works. Now it might sound like a, a, a just, just to put it, if we could put it like this, Jesus doesn't exist for us Actually, we exist for him. He's to be worshipped. Now, that might sound like a subtle difference, but it's absolutely massive. And it's, it, it equates to the difference of whether you see Jesus as your personal assistant or as the one your entire life revolves around. And I think when we put things like that, you can see this is quite a big deal, uh, actually. I think, again, this is highlighted for me in a story, another story in the Bible. This time in the Old Testament, in, in the book of Joshua, Joshua 5, 13 to 14. Okay, and in that story, Joshua, who's leading God's people, he's about to go into battle, and uh, he's walking towards the scene of the battle. It's a big battle. He's, he's being asked to take the land that God's promised Israel for many, many uh, generations. And as he's walking there, kind of pumped up for the battle, he meets this guy, and it says he meets a man with a sword in his hand. And you can imagine Joshua, he's ready to go. I kind of imagine him squaring up to this guy, and he says this to him. Uh, he says, are you for us or for our enemies? This guy's a guy who wants a fight. <laughs> I mean, Joshua, I'm saying. Okay. Now, what, what's he thinking there? Well, it's clear what he's thinking. I think he's saying this. Look, look, man with sword, I am about something special. I'm about a grand enterprise here. I've got plans that I want to do. And I want to know, are you going to help me with my plans or are you going to stand in the way of my plans? Are you for us or are you against us? Okay, sounds pretty binary as regards the question goes. This is the man's answer. Neither. There's only two options. How could there be a third option? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I love that verse. I think it's a great verse. It's like, what? Well, how does that work? Just to kind of, for those who like the theological tidbits, just to go and take away. What links lovely into our passage here is that many commentators say, who is this guy? Who's the commander of the army of the Lord? Any, any ideas? Who, Jesus. Many people think this is Jesus. 
Jesus is obviously alive now. He was alive before he came to earth. And many say, no, these appearances in the Old Testament were Jesus coming. Whoa, okay? I'll just leave that with you. Whether that's true or not, it's just, it's just fun. You can research that in your, in your own time. Because actually, whether this is Jesus or not, um, what this guy says represents exactly how we relate to God and therefore how we relate to Jesus. I'll make that link very, very explicitly uh, in a couple of minutes anyway. Because I think there's a sense in which we could imagine that conversation happening between us and Jesus. Jesus, are you for us or against us? Let's be clear. Again, I'm not going to put this one to the audience. If you're a Christian here, Jesus has brought you into the family, brought you into the family of God, and uh, God's favor is on you as a child. That God will work for your ultimate benefit and not for your ultimate harm. So, in that case, the answer is well, yes, Jesus is for us. But in a sense, the answer from Jesus could still be neither to us. Are you for us against neither? Because it's almost like saying. It's completely the wrong question. The question you're asking is wrong. Actually, the right question is, are we for him or against him? That's what the commander of the Lord's army was saying on that day. I think often when we ask Jesus, are you for us or against us? Even when we sing, God is for me, so often I think what we mean is, God is going to fulfill my dreams. God is going to help me realize my ambitions. God is always going to make me happy. That's what it means for God to be for me. And if we ask God, uh, if we ask Jesus for us in that sort of sense, I think he would look at us and very genuinely say, completely the wrong question. I'm the son of God. I'm here. And that's where you're setting your question. No, my question to you, Jesus, is, are you for me or against me? Are the plans you have in line with my plans or are they at odds with my plans? I think we so often can mistake God's favor uh, for us on favor on anything we want to do. Sometimes we say, don't we? I don't know if you said this or you, you hear people say this, but if something's important to me, it must be important to Jesus because he loves me. And if you ever said that or heard that, do you, do you think that? Is it, it could be at the moment. I imagine many of us would think in that sort of way. And uh, if that's the case, you know what? I know what you mean. You're not massively wide of the mark, but I just want to say as gently as I can, it's technically wrong. That is incorrect, I think, as far as what the Bible would, would tell us about Jesus. Because Jesus' priorities are not based on the, the level of importance things have to us. Now, his priorities are based upon receiving the glory and honor that he deserves. And therefore, he wants us to flip our way of thinking. If it's important to Jesus, it's important to me because we love him. It's a much more appropriate way of looking at things. Jesus is not our butler. Jesus is not our super Alexa. He helps us and he cares for us and he loves us. He really does. But he doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. So what do we do? What's the, what's the answer? Well, we worship him. Let all the angels and people and everything worship him. That's the right response. For you guys in a few minutes, uh, you'll get a chance to, to do that in singing. And we, we do that worship. We often equate the two together, uh, worship and singing. And singing is very important in, in that way. It's an expression of something. But actually, the proper way to really worship, the, the fullest way to worship him, is actually to live out lives that don't demand things of Jesus. Or, or don't look to add him onto the side of our lives as someone to, to help us achieve our personal goals. Now, to live lives of worship to Jesus, living lives lived under the, the banner that says, not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want, but what you want be done. 
So angels are there for us. We're here for Jesus. Very important. Third point, let's return to the passage for one last uh, point. Uh, Verse 8. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. He also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Right, loads of stuff. Uh, in there, uh, but I just want to bring out one thing, and it comes out as we read it, and you might have seen this as we read it, because there are two really jarring bits in this passage that just, well, I don't quite understand what, who's talking now in the passage, I don't know if you spotted them, we get in verse, verse 8 first of all, you've got uh, this thing where it's like, but to the son he says, he is God, okay, to the son he says, your throne, O God, endures forever, wait a minute, why does that work, does it? Oh, he's God. How does that, what do you think? Okay, I'll let that one slide. A little bit strange. Okay, but then you come to verse 10 and exactly the same thing happens again. God also says to the son, in the beginning, Lord. What? God's calling him Lord? That's confusing to us. Now, it's not confusing to us, is it? Because everyone in this room knows what this means and the Christian doctrine around this, don't we? What the third point here is that I want to make is that angels serve God. Jesus is God. Well, grammatically, that could be confusing. That's what the writer is saying. Now, I know this can be, a, this can be kind of a familiar to us, but I want us to try to get into the, as if you heard this fresh, because I think the way the writer of the Hebrews and the way this is often written in the Bible is like the grand reveal that you're meant to be like, okay, wow, that's amazing. And so you've got this thing in this passage and the person's reading and thinks, okay, so first of all, Jesus is great in the angels because he's the son of God. Yep. That kind of makes sense. Got that one. And he's to be worshipped. Yep, okay, that makes sense as well. But wait, what? The Son of God is God? Boom! Minds explode. That's meant to be what happens, okay? It's the biggest plot twist ever. I mean, not just in this passage, but in the whole Bible, the way it's revealed. Now, I don't, this, is a, this is an exposing question for some, but I do want an answer, because I like that sort of thing. Was anyone here... Uh, old enough, I would say, or, or was simply there, uh, to watch it, The Empire Strikes Back at the cinema. Oh, there's a few. Guys, good. Now, okay, um, any of you guys went to watch it and didn't know what was going to happen at the end? Okay, wow. Right, okay. Now, that is seen in Empire Strikes Back. It seems one of the biggest plot twists in the whole of history. Darth Vader, sorry if you've not seen it, guys. I'm not sorry. It's completely your fault in that case um, because it's very old, um, as I pointed out a minute ago. Um, Darth Vader goes to Luke. Luke. I am your father. Wow, if you were there first time, what? You'd fallen off your seat. I did not see that coming. One of the greatest plot twists in movie history, many would say. But you know what? It doesn't have a patch on this. Imagine the situation is like differently. Luke, you are me. <laughs> that, that would be some next level sort of stuff going on there. Okay. Just to make sure this has been recorded, I need to be careful here. I know the Son isn't the Father. I know the Trinity stuff, three persons distinctly. One. I know that stuff. I'm not making a great theological claim here. I'm just saying that Jesus is God should blow our minds. That's the whole, whole point of this. It should be hard for us to comprehend because our minds don't blow, do they? For many of us, the Trinity is just a philosophical puzzle or a bit of a headache. 
possible. Actually, there are some people in this room who, for whom this is not the case. If you're from a Muslim background or a Muslim now, I imagine you've really struggled with what I've just said. You might even have struggled not to say anything, to interrupt, because actually Muslims would see what I've just said as very blasphemous. How could we say that God, the creator of everything, utterly uh, unknowable, and we should treat with reverence, is a person who does person stuff? And if that was you here, I'd say, actually, you're probably closer to the effect this passage is meant to have than the general Christian response to say, yeah, Trinity, got it, nailed, move on. So as we finish then, let's not move on. Let's just bask in this for a moment or two. I just want to think, Jesus is God. God is Jesus. That's what the Bible says. That means, think about this. Jesus, that guy, that man who walked on planet Earth 2,000 years ago, walked with his feet on the ground, okay, that man who we know, we, we look in the Bible, he, he loved people like nobody ever has before, okay? The guy who gave his life for us. That man is the creator of the universe. He has the power of God. He has the wisdom of God. He has the wonder of God. I think it's amazing. But it works the other way around as well. Look at it from the other angle. I think I wonder sometimes whether this is the angle we miss. You know God, that guy who made everything, the guy who started it all off, the guy who brings everything to a close, who sustains everything, that being who your destiny is completely in his hands. You know that guy, <laughs> God, that God is Jesus. It says it right at the beginning of Hebrews. We read it. The Son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. If you're here today and you are puzzled as to what God is like, if you're thinking, I, I don't know, maybe we've been in Judges, we're in the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament, I must admit, you read it and you end up thinking, wait a minute, how do we square all this stuff? Like, with this, this God, is he like this or is he like this? And then we start getting personal. Does he care for me? Does he even know I'm here? Does he love me? Does, he, does these things matter at all to him? What's God like? At those moments, guys, we've got to be really clear. God is Jesus, the exact representation of the Father. And in those questions flow our minds, we need to look at Jesus because he's the one who the ruler of the universe is like. Think of Jesus again. What did Jesus do when he was on the earth? He healed sick people wherever he went. He wasn't particularly choosy, okay? He had loads of them. That's God. So God, now, think about it. How does that relate to you? He wants to make us whole in all the ways he can. He still does. He's the same. That's, that's, that's God. Who did Jesus spend time with and give attention to? Everybody. Children, to social outcasts like prostitutes, to uh, greedy fat cats like Zacchaeus. He had attention for them. He showed concern and care for them. What does that tell us? Well, for all the other questions, God, the one who made this world and holds you in his hand right now, is not indifferent to you. Far from it. He cares deeply about you. We know it. We saw it in Jesus. And when, of course, Jesus gave his life on the cross for the people of this world, what we see is that God, the one who made this world, he, he loves us. He loves us deeply, whoever we are. Whatever you might be afraid of today, Listen, you don't need to let those fears cripple you because God is good. Sounds like a great phrase. God is good. We sing it lots. Sometimes we sing that and we're really on it and we're like, yes. I've talked to many people who've sung, that was really hard to sing that today. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good to me. It's so hard to sing. How can I know? Do you know how we know? Because Jesus is God. 
and God is Jesus. Don't be afraid. Worship him. You'll have a chance to do that in a minute. Worship him. Don't get distracted. Prioritize him. Don't keep him on the edges. Stick him where he belongs, right at the center of your life. 